0: Welcome back to Everyone Talks to Liz. God, I'm so happy every time you guys tune in because you know how I love to bring on brilliant, successful people in business and kind of rewind the tape, right? And find out how they did it. And and then you know what I do? I totally force them to share their tips, to share their fears, because what I want you guys to hear is yes, it's hard, but boy, is it worth it. My newest lesson for you today, the art of the pivot. One of the biggest secrets behind becoming a successful entrepreneur, and and you've heard this on a lot of my Everyone Talks to Liz episodes, is finding out not just what does work, but also what doesn't work with your business model, and then adjusting and tweaking it so you can weather the storm and keep moving forward. Sound easy? Yeah, it's about as easy as changing your car tire while driving 100 miles an hour down a highway. (laughs) You know, it's not easy. To one of the most flexible entrepreneurs out there right now, not only is she flexible with her business, but also constantly pivoting and twirling in the gym and on the dance floor. We want to welcome Payel Kadakia, ClassPass founder and executive chairman, quit her job to launch a gym class platform way back in 2012, but... When the idea didn't take off, she had to pivot. And then she had to pivot again and again and again. But Pyle's unmatched navigation skills led her through every shift in the wind to reach unicorn status. Okay, what does that mean? That means a valuation of a billion dollars or more. And that happened by early 2020. And yet, just when ClassPass was anticipating its best year yet, The pandemic hit, shutting down gyms and classes across America. So what did ClassPass do? Find another way to pivot. But I don't want you to hear from me. I want you to hear from Payal. Welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Liz. I'm excited to be here. Payal, you know, this, this process sounds either exhilarating or exhausting, depending on one's personality. Let me guess, you find it exhilarating? I
1: do. It's actually interesting because... I would say I really feel like I became an entrepreneur when I had to pivot. I think before that, it was very much a sense of, oh, this is what sounds right and feels right. But when I really started pivoting, that's when I truly knew that I was an entrepreneur.
0: Yeah. But you know what? It's it's a lot harder than just coming to that realization, isn't it? Isn't it a muscle you have to develop along with failures and fears? Absolutely.
1: On? Absolutely. Um, you know, when we first launched the first product that we had built... I spent over half a million dollars um, over a year building it. I thought I was doing everything right. I had done a ton of research. I had had investments from different VCs and angel investors. I thought I was on the right path. And then I launched and it was like crickets out there. And you know, as an entrepreneur who at that point had put so much into her company, whether that was you know, my team betting on me, um, my investors believing in me, I realized I needed to keep moving forward. And I know that's easier said than done. But what that came down to was me actually realizing that even though this product and this idea that I first had didn't work, it didn't mean that what I started this company for still didn't need a solution in the world. Right? I wanted people to go to class. I wanted people to stay active there still needed to be a solution in the world created for that. And I hadn't just failed. I had just got, or I hadn't failed. I had really just hit a point of, in the journey where I needed to really go a different direction. I was learning from that moment, right? Failure is a data point. It is not an end point. And I have learned that so many times. And I think you're absolutely right. It's a muscle that really happens. The more and more you do it. I think the first time it took me a year, the second time, maybe six months. And then after that, I, I no longer like in the, you know, even in the pivot, like my team was like, great, what do we do? Do we change everything tomorrow? Like they were ready for it. And we are in a way, this team and the culture that we've created is prepared to do things that honor our mission, right? And not necessarily are about being, you know, oh, well, we won't change our product because of X, Y, and Z. We were willing to let all that go to make sure we were always doing what we set out to. Well, if
0: it is a muscle. I gotta say, your muscles must have been stretched to the limit uh, during the pandemic. And normally speaking, of the pandemic—I I might have started by saying, "Wow, what was that moment like when the lockdowns hit last year?" But shockingly, and and almost depressingly so, I, I gotta ask, what you're seeing today, and and anticipating right now, as we see this hyper-contagious Delta variant sweep across the nation, having been through it already 16 months ago, are you? changing things right now what are you seeing on the landscape at the moment i mean look
1: you know i think one of the biggest things we really have focused on is protecting our studios you know there's going to be a point whether it's now or it's in you know a year or so we don't know when the world returns back to normal and the number one thing is we want to make sure our studios survive this they are very vulnerable at this time right they have fixed cost businesses Uh, the, you know, it's rent is so high and obviously none of them are having that much revenue come pouring. And of course, some of them have pivoted into other revenue streams, but that's not something all of them can afford to do, nor have the ability to get an entire client base. That's all of a sudden going to pay them for virtual experiences, no matter how hard they try. So it's one of those things where we are heavily focused on making sure that our supply lasts through this. And at the same time, we've taken this time to really pivot our product and our experience to also having our full vision sort of laid out in our product. So when ClassPass started, we were focused on, uh, having people actually go to different types of classes, whether that was uh, active classes, creative classes, music classes, pottery classes. And of course, focus is so important. That's another thing I would say for entrepreneurs, right? Like there were pivots in that for me, making sure that I, you know people could actually go to the class that they wanted to go to. And you know, in the beginning, when we were both active and creative classes, we needed to focus. So we focused in on boutique fitness. We figured out a model that works for there. And there, now we have the luxury of being able to figure that out for other industries. So we focus this time on really actually helping to launch beauty and wellness as a part of our business. So now we have massages on there, we have manicures on there, we have other types of experiences, of course, like, you know, we are trying to 100% make sure this is a safe place for everyone to go, we have put instructions and uh, for our studio owners, so everyone knows you know, what to expect when they walk into a studio, what their sanitization um, process is like, you know, how they are cleaning their studio. All of that information is available for our clients to know. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're just trying our best right now to keep people active and keep our studios protected because that is the number one thing, you know, it really, we don't know. No one can tell when this is going to go away. Yeah.
0: It's very challenging because you don't have the ability to control Everyone. I mean, look, let's just let people know how big this company is today. Yes, you started as a mere idea, but you've grown it to more than 700 employees, uh, 30 countries, five different continents. Am I correct here? How many uh, customers do you have? You, you, You had about a million
1: members, right, in the past. Are you still at about that? So we've, we, we talk about our reservation numbers. So we've, uh, facilitated over a hundred million reservations to date. And that is such a big number for us because in a way, if you really think about that, that's hundred million hours of people's lives that we've had our hand in. Mm-hmm. And that's somebody not sitting on the couch, right. Or doing something that may have been negative for them. It is going out, learning, pushing themselves to do something with a coach and a teacher in the room. And for us, that is a really rewarding time. You know, I think for me personally, that's always what I wanted for others. I was so lucky to have had that in dance. And I always wanted other people to have what I had in dance in their life. And um, we've really seen that come alive and people as they use the product and discover new classes that they love.
0: I want to bring up dance because it actually really kind of was very much the genesis of what eventually became this business. You always loved moving and dancing. Take me back to growing up in Randolph, New Jersey. You were the daughter of Indian immigrants. Tell me about your folks and about the culture that you were raised with that, that you believe may have eventually triggered or at least planted the seed of what has become ClassPass.
1: Yeah, you know, um, the most impactful thing that happened to me when I was younger was I met my mom's best friend who became my dance teacher. And, you know, Indian girls are Many times put into Indian dance classes, usually in garages and basements. We didn't have the local, you know, ballet academy next door, so we literally would learn in each other's basements and garages. And it was teachers like my Ushanti—that's her name, Usha Patel—who uh, would teach us, you know, in their free time on the weekends. Who would, uh, you know, take the time to tell us a little bit about where we came from, teach us steps, teach us these beautiful dance forms from India. And we trained, you know, and we did this rigorously. This became like an every weekend activity. And as I got older, I realized that helped me learn so much of where I came from. You know, obviously being somebody who, um, you know, my parents are immigrants. They came here in the 70s. I grew up in a town where everyone didn't look like me. And I obviously struggled with that and I found dance as a place where I felt uniquely like myself and I could feel the beauty of my culture. I could feel confident in my skin and I never wanted to let that go because I just knew it was a place that I always belonged, no matter what. And I think sometimes these activities and passions are places, right? Where everything else sort of goes away and the true part of who we are really comes out. And I wanted people to have that because no matter what, we have all, all of us at whatever age in our lives, we have that pressure in our life. We face adversity. There's, there's no person I know that doesn't have some of that in their life. And I think when you love something and you have a place you can go, you just learn to get through it. And that has been my armor throughout my life. And, um, I think I had that and it became my, it became my, you know, my, my, I don't want to say kryptonite because I know kryptonite is bad, but it became <laughs> my, uh, my, my, Yeah, there you go. It became my Teflon uh, to help me get through everything in life. And I think when I think about what I've achieved, it's because I found a way to have discipline, right? Which dance gave me. It gave me a sense, like I said, of community and who I was. And it gave me a place to express myself. And everyone deserves all three of those things. We're not done yet. We'll be back in a moment.
2: Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List
0: I want to rewind just a little bit here because uh, you said you didn't look like everybody else. And why is, and this has been a question forever. Listen, I was one of the few kids who had bright red hair, freckles, very crooked teeth. I, you know, here I am growing up in Beverly Hills with all these gorgeous California girls and, and I didn't look like everybody else. And I was bullied and teased. I know you were bullied as well. Why is it, if you could speak to your younger self would you tell her, you know, it's not bad to be different. It'll actually make you a winner in the end.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I totally believe that. I think now I've realized that what makes me different is what makes me exceptional. And I have learned to lean into that. I never want to ever hide who I am. I think when, when you're younger, right, and you don't know how the world works, right, and you words hurt right i think people don't realize that it's like people when people say things they they stick in your brain and i think when you're when you're young you're impressionable and you're building your your confidence and the the rules of life and when people say things to you that Um, can be hurtful, you start thinking that that's true. And I think luckily I, you know, whether it was right or wrong, like I kind of split myself in two where I had like my Indian community and my American community. And I think for me, I realized over time that I didn't need to split them. And I probably did that for 15 years. And at some point I realized I want to be me. And yes, that happened to me with like my normal personal life. And I think that happened to me in my career as I got older is I realized I don't want to be somebody at work in during the day and then come home and be somebody else. Like I want to be my full self in whatever career I do. And that I think is a big reason I became an entrepreneur. I never wanted to live by anyone else's rules. And that really came from my confidence that I learned over time of not needing to live so many different lives, by for the expectations and Words of other people,
0: but it wasn't a direct line to entrepreneurship. I mean, after college, you started at Bain and Company. I mean, I mean, very very corporatey, right? And then you moved to sort of a different type of corporation, Warner Music Group. As you were sort of moving from one place to the next, what was that aha moment where you realized, wait a minute, wait a minute, I am itching to start my own company.
1: Absolutely. I think uh, it was a six-year journey for me to get to that point. Like you said, it wasn't just a one-day moment where I realized I was going to do it. Uh, I think the first part of it was me having that self-awareness, right? Like having that talk with myself of realizing what I was doing wasn't what I wanted to be doing. And I think that's a question that people don't ask them. And they end up with, you know, 50 years old being like, why am I doing this job? And I kind of hate it. And it serves me no purpose. And once again, like, yes, I got lucky. You know, first thing I did when I moved to New York was look up an Indian dance class to take. And I joined, joined a local dance group. And I started actually already back to the dual identity fighting with like needing to go to rehearsals or performances and then needing to be obviously in meetings and being in consulting is a, is a, is beyond a full-time job, right? You're traveling, you're going um to meetings, you're you're moving around, hours are unpredictable based on when you have meetings. Yeah. And I realized I wanted to have more predictability. So the second job I took, which was at Warner Music Group, what that provided me was a bit more predictability over my schedule, because I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do yet, but I knew I didn't. I wanted to have more control over my time. So I had hours to really pursue my passion, which was dance. And yeah. that was the other big step is I started my dance company at that time, which is an Indian contemporary dance company called um, the Saad Dance Company. Yeah. And we did really well. Like, I mean, we ended up on the cover of the the um, art section of the New York Times within six months of me starting it. And we, you know, we were garnering a ton of like celebrities, Indian celebrities and in support from my community. And I realized that I had it in me to get stuff done. And by the way, I was doing this like as my side hustle. Like I wasn't even fully into it, but I realized I was a good leader I had drive, I had passion, I could get stuff done, right? And at the end of the day, that is the most important thing you realize as an entrepreneur is can you get stuff done? And so, of course, like I had this amazing, you know, education and sort of big picture knowledge from going, you know, to MIT and then working at Bain. And then I realized I had the grit to get stuff done and like put on a show, learn to do something I've never done before. And those were the qualities of being an entrepreneur. So when I finally had that moment where I was sitting at my desk, I was looking for a ballet class online. And I realized there was no one website that had all the classes on there. I was like, this brings together all parts of who I am. It is like my dancer self combined with my, you know, my analyst business math side all in one, let me go and do this. And of course I didn't quite right away. I, there was a journey that happened even after that, which to me was an important step in it, which was the planning phase, right? It was me getting my parents on board, right? Which was not an easy thing. But like, once again, I had for the last six years shared so much of my journey with my parents. My parents obviously wanted me to do more secure things in my life. But I think at that point they'd realized I had checked so many boxes for them that it was time to let me fly a little. My, my dad and I sat down and we created a budget together. And I think that was also really important to making sure that I had the financial responsibilities sort of in line with like the way I was going to live to be able to go and pursue this without sort of worrying, right. About needing to pay my rent or being able to live and eat every single day. Like it's, you don't want to worry about other things when you're going for gold. Right. And essentially I was ready to go and do this. And then I think the last moment was, you know, the day I actually quit, I will never forget. And, it was so scary, but it was also so rewarding because people, you know, came up to me and wanted to support me so much. I walked out of the, the day I quit, I walked out of my office with the $10,000 check from one of my, uh, one of my bosses and oh. right. Like it shows you when you do stuff, you love people want to support you. And yeah. I have like learned that in my life so many times where when people are like, Oh, how do you network? I'm like, when they can see the magic in your eyes, they will help you. Right. But if that magic isn't in there, you got to dig a little deeper for something that is super connected to what you really want to be doing.
0: Well, well, yes. And then you're all flush with this excitement and support. And then, as you mentioned closer to the top of the podcast, you launch it and it's crickets. You started classivity not an automatic hit, right? You had to pivot. But I, I want to get to one point where you had this idea to give people what a Lululemon gift card if they <laughs> if they had the service for more than six months, like a little bit of a carrot there. Yeah. And Lululemon responds in
1: the most sort of dramatically vicious way. To be fair, we didn't have a partnership with them, uh, you know, and so what we had done is we were doing promotion saying, sign up for ClassPass for six months and we'll give you a hundred dollar loan gift card. So to anyone, they're like, I'll take a hundred dollars to them. And by the way, it was like the perfect client, obviously for ClassPass to come and try this. And so we did this and, you know, we were small, like, I don't even think we had a thousand customers. Like we were, we were so small Yeah. and um, you know, we were doing this marketing, but we were gaining steam and, you know, I remember when we got that letter from Lou Lemon and it's funny because I think there was like a former version of me before Like, I learned to pivot that I would have been like freaked out by it. I was like, this is amazing. They know who we are, <laughs> you know, because that's what you realize. Like they, someone in their office knows who we are. That's
0: huge. That, that's called, you know what I, that's called, um, seeing the positive, right? Seeing the silver lining. I call it champagne problems. Giving you a cease and desist, but hey, they know who we
1: are. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, there were moments like that. And I think that's, like I said, the time when I feel like I became a true entrepreneur is when you kind of throw the rule book out and you, once again, start living by your own terms. And it's very easy. I think right now, especially because there are so many entrepreneurs out there to think your path has to look like somebody else's. And Everyone's journey is different. I think the number one thing you can't ever lose sight of is the problem you set out to solve. This is not about money, this is not about titles, this is not about how many like Instagram followers you have or how much money you've raised. This is about solving a problem in the world that people are willing to pay for, right? And if people are willing to pay for it, you have a business, right? If you can make the economics work, but if someone's not going to buy it, you know, no amount of marketing also can sell a product that is not good
0: as we've seen during the pandemic a lot of people dropped their marketing budget they just stopped i mean what was the point of marketing something if everybody was locked down and they realized wait a minute maybe we don't need that maybe we just need the sticktuitiveness and the persistence within it uh, tell me about the moment where you realized oh my god this is actually working we're really f- we're flying we're not just floating we're flying
1: there was, there was a few moments that built up to it. Um, I think one of the most important ones, which is really actually not, not the intuitive one, right? It would be easier for me to look at the chart and say, there's hockey stick growth. And of course we had that, but it was really a few customer service emails that I got. And I remember reading them and hearing in their, in people's voices what this product made them feel, And once again, going back to my own journey, I felt I had given them what dance meant to me. And that's when I knew this was magical because I had figured out a way for them to get over their fears, get into class, find a way to like, it wasn't even about class, right? Like that's the whole magic of our product is... It's not about going to class. It's what you, it's the emotional journey and the physical journey and the mental journey that happens while you're in class. Right. Yeah. And that is the thing that they kept with them. And so these emails would be people who would say things like, Oh my God, I got a promotion at work and I feel so confident. I just like fell in love with, and I met this new guy. And I was like, Wow, we changed your life with this product. And they could feel the connection to it. And that to me, was when I knew we had built something that would change human behavior. And that to me is like the crux and the magic of what an entrepreneur is supposed to do is invent something, right? Like we talk about Albert Einstein, obviously as an inventor, you know, this is invention. When you can build something that changes the way people are going to live and it gives them something. And so that was sort of at the qualitative level. Of course, like there was also like we started having hockey stick hockey stick growth and I sent it to a few of investors. And I had been like, you know, around as an entrepreneur for three years and i had been trying to raise money. And um, I remember when I sent a few people who had known me like this chart and they all like called me back right away being like, what is that? Like, what is that? What number? What metric is that? And I was like, "It's our revenue," and um, I think it just got everyone like really excited. And I realized that we really had hit something, you know. And I think it really comes down to, like I said, the experience we gave our customers.
0: Well, now you've got partnerships with what more than thirty thousand health clubs. Uh, You're in Thailand, Singapore, Hong Kong, the UAE, Malaysia, all over America. I I just see this as something that began as an idea. And you basically putting your three years of savings on the line. um, Was there a moment where you got really, really scared?
1: Many. I mean, I don't, you know, I think as an entrepreneur, there are many moments that are frightening. Um, Did I ever feel like I wasn't going to move forward and figure it out? No. And I think that's what makes an entrepreneur is you never give up, right? You keep finding it, even though it's so hard. You, you, You hear the worst voices and things in your head. But you almost use that as the motivation to keep going. And for me, like I said, I just anchored myself at some point, especially after all the failures in the beginning. I anchored myself so in the vein of being this like mission oriented founder of getting people to class that I was like, that is the only thing that matters. If I get 10 people to class or a million people to class, I don't care, but I'm getting people to class. And when I let everything else go, I just became so clear on what I had to do, and all the fluff went away. It was easy for me to hire. It was easy for me to do marketing. It was easy for me to even know what investors to pick, right? Like, I think that's a big part of the journey is who do you surround, what kind of guidance that do you um, give around your team, right? Your, Your mentors, your board. And I realized like I wanted people who really lived and breathed the ethos of what I was building. And, you know, one of my favorite things is a lot of my investors um, would come and watch me dance. And, you know, I used to always want to hide that side of me because I thought that would maybe somehow make me look like I wasn't focused on the business or I don't know, like, would they be like, what, what is this girl doing? But, you know, (laughs) many, many of them have told me that they invested because, of what they saw when I danced, because they were like, if you're that good at something, you can be that good at anything. So and I like, want people to know that. Right. So so
0: you're better than Bollywood as far as I'm concerned with your dancing. Oh, my gosh. I've trained
1: in classical Indian dance for a very long time. And, uh, you know, it's, it's once again, like I channel my heart and passion into everything I do. And that's actually a really big part of Indian dance. It's this part of it called Abhinaya, which is all about emotion and like showing the expressions on your face. And it comes out so alive when you really care. And I think like that's the connection once again, back to where I found the beauty of my culture aside from dad and mom, who who has really mentored you?
0: Did you knock down doors of people whom you admired and say, listen, help me. I just want to pick your brain.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I, so one of my, my first and most important mentors was an Indian woman actually named Anjula Acharya. And she was really important because for me, look, you really can't be what you can't see. And I think having somebody who looked like me, who was an Indian woman, who was an entrepreneur, you know, made me feel better, right? So when my mom was calling me being like, who else is doing this? I'm like, there's an Indian woman right here. And, you know, and she she, and I have like become sisters over time. But like, I think what's so nice is for us to be able to talk about our real lives and obviously our business lives at the same time, like having to make a crazy decision about work and then also have stuff going on in our personal lives and everything is connected. And I think having mentors who really care is really important to me. And I feel like I've learned that over time, but you know, there's other entrepreneurs um, like, you know, there's a, there was a, there was a site called ZocDoc when I was starting, it was the same sort of model, but for a cl- doctor's appointments and dentist appointments. And I was like, I need to go meet him because he knows like this this business inside out. I'm starting a very similar he's amazing. thing in a different industry. Cyrus, yeah, his name is Cyrus Masumi. He's wonderful. And you know, he is so efficient with his time. And I got like seven different people to introduce me to him, right? So I like use, this is when I was like, I'm gonna use my Bane network, like Ange introduced me to him. And I remember, cause he's like, I don't have time. And I, I know how he is because like, I remember when class was started flying, like I did not have time to mentor. It was just, it's just your, your time is yeah. so busy. And so he was like, okay, you know what? He's like, you're like, he's like, I've heard your name now five times. Let's just have a quick (laughs) coffee because like everyone keeps hounding me that I have to meet you. So we ended up having a meeting. And at the first meeting, he was like, look, I don't have time, but keep me posted on what you're doing. And I kept following up. Like every month I would send him an update on the business. And then six months in, he started telling me that people in his company were talking about ClassPass. And he was like, you know, I'm intrigued. And, you know, like you've shown me that you keep hustling and you keep moving and like, Hey, like I'm, I want to help you. And I know he hasn't like advised that, or at that time he didn't advise many companies, but he's like, I want to help you do this. And that was like one of those, those mentorships that like I hustled my way to get to, and it was awesome. And it turned out, I mean, he helped me learn how to raise capital in a way that people don't learn by reading books or even probably going to business school. So I think, you know, some of it is talking to a real entrepreneur and how do you do this? Well, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah
0: bang down doors everybody and and just when they see your passion they'll they'll listen and and my gosh unless they're demons they'll they'll certainly try and help you i would ask you by hell what's next but i know you got a new book coming out with all of your free time which is zero tell me
1: the most important lesson that's going to come out of these pages of the book You know, it's a really a guide to have no excuses towards pursuing what you love in your life. And I really take every chapter is a constraint because look, at the end of the day, through my entrepreneurship journey and through other people's stories, it's very easy to say, hey, I don't have the time or no, I like because of what someone expects me to do. I'm not going to do what I love, but I'm telling you you can go for it. And this book, it has exercises in it. It's got my stories in it to help you really never say you can't do what you want to do in your life because of some excuse. It's called Life Pass. Am I correct? Correct. Life Pass. Everybody,
0: exactly. No excuses. Think of all of the stories that we have presented to you here on Everyone Talks to Liz. So inspirational, so many failures. but And I always say this, What is success anyway, but standing right at the apex, right at the top of a mountain of failures, okay? It's not a bad thing to fail. As you said, it's a data point. It's not an end point. Payal, we wish you the best of luck at ClassPass and all your future endeavors. Thank
1: you so much, Liz. This was such a pleasure. And um, I just hope everyone goes for what they love because that's what life's all
0: about passion, Pael Kadakia of ClassPass. Thank you so much for being here. And you guys, as always, I am so grateful to you for listening to what has really become over this past two years now, the place to go for American dreams, success stories, And it's basically a roadmap from so many different people on on what you should expect and how hard you need to work for it. But that's okay. That's the way to do it. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. And I'll see you next time. But as always, Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern, The Claim and Countdown on Fox Business.